Well, good morning, church. Good morning, good morning. There are a few of you here. And we, we are so excited that all of you are here. And a special uh, hello to all of those in our overflow rooms, in the overflow, overflow room upstairs. We're so excited that you're in our special seating up there. Um, the kitchen staff wants me to let you know that your drink orders will be to you shortly. So just be waiting on that. For the rest of us, uh, this, this is an exciting week. I'm so, I'm absolutely pumped, but, but I need to let you know about a couple things that are happening next week. Next week, if you're new to NBC, whether this is your first week or you've been coming for about a year, but you just haven't connected with people, you haven't gotten to know the pastors or deacons or, or some of the small group leaders, we're going to have a home cut patio party out on the patio out there, and we want to invite all of you. Um, home cut Donuts is sponsoring it. Not really. Uh, we're still paying, but, but we're saying that home cut... <laughs> It is, well, we will have home-cut donuts, um, but we'd like to have all you there to get to know you. Also, starting next week is a, a three-week mini-series called Who We Are, Living the Life of Our Generous Calling. Uh, now, we're still doing the story, which is where we're going through the entire storyline of the Bible. That's going to continue after this and ending in May, uh, but definitely, definitely want to, you should definitely be here next week. But for all of us, let's go ahead and jump right on in to the text for this morning. If you could stand with me up in the upper room and in our, all of our uh, overflow areas, if you could all stand for the reading of Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But when the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the others, all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Now, for you, if you call yourself a Christian, if you self-identify as a Christian, and that's why you're here today, because today is a big day, this last line means something to you. This nonsensical message of the cross is not just a story, it is your story. It's not just some type of faith. It is the faith that, is, that has gotten into your life and impacted everything else. So if you're a Christian, that's what you're echoing today. And for all the rest of us here, and that's not your story, the reason that you're here is simply because you're super nice. Okay, somebody invited you, some family member or friend, and honestly, if you had a better excuse, you would have given it but you didn't think hard enough in advance. And so right now you're already thinking about next year. What am I going to say? What am I going to say? But, but you're here. And, and it's not that you hate Christians. You don't. I mean, you love everybody. But the, the thing is, is that the reality is that when you think about this message of the cross, this reality of Christianity, it simply looks delusional. Okay, because this idea that, that you've got God who becomes a man and dies on a cross for the sin of all humanity. But he doesn't stay dead. He magically rises from the grave. It's, it's ridiculous. I mean, and it's kind of appropriate that Easter this year falls on April Fool's. And you're like, of course it does. <laughs> now, for whatever reason that you're not a Christian, 
for whatever reason, you've come up with, like, that's why I'm not a Christian. You have to understand that you're not alone. Uh, there was this skeptic and scholar back in uh, the first century who also didn't believe, and his name was Paul. And this is a guy who um, not only was uh, regarding Jesus as God, he was not a soft agnostic towards that reality. He was actually a hardline, rational atheist about that point. He did not believe it. In fact, he didn't simply believe that Christianity was, was like wrong or like it's just not my cup of tea. I, I believe something different. He thought Christianity was toxic. It was culturally, socially, religiously dangerous. It was a dangerous faith. And that Christians should, whatever we can do to mitigate this movement at whatever cost, we should do it. And he invested his life in doing that. This was a contemporary of Jesus who did not believe in Jesus and did not want Christianity to thrive at, at all. In fact, um, the New Testament records something that he said one time when he says this, the message of the cross is foolishness. And the word that he uses for foolishness is not silly. He uses the word that means madness or insanity. If you believe the message of the cross, you are believing a, this is a delusional concept to someone who's not a Christian. Yeah, you Christians believe that. But if, you are a, but if you're not a Christian, you look at it and it looks ridiculous. And again, for whatever reasons Paul had not to believe in Jesus as God and believe in the resurrection, in 2018, we got more than that. I mean, we've got tons. We've had 2,000 years to evaluate this and come up with reasons for our own. And so if you're not a Christian today, I'm going to give you six reasons why you shouldn't become a Christian this Easter. Six reasons. And then, and the spoiler alert, I, I am a Christian. Um, I'm going to give you one reason, one reason why you should. One reason why you should surrender your life to Jesus this Easter. But, but first, for the reasons you shouldn't become a Christian. First reason, and that is a logical, rational reason, is that there's stuff that I'd have to give up, okay? We are autonomous, independent people. We don't like surrendering our will or our choices or anything else to anyone. I mean, it's hard enough in a relationship, let alone a religion. And so if you're going to tell me that this God, he's not my buddy, he's God, and he's going to impose on me his moral code and his agenda— Listen, I'm an American. I, I, I really, really love independence, and I would appreciate that not being my story. There, if, this, if there's stuff I have to give up, that's a faith for you. No, no offense. That's great, but it's just not for me. Other people, like uh, their reason is science. If you look back into, like, into cultural history, you see how people, like everyone had a religion. Everyone had a god or a series of gods. Why? Because the natural world was complicated. And so you have to come up with something to explain this. And so you look at natural stuff and you pew, copy and paste a supernatural explanation for it. Everyone did that. But the thing is, as you go through history, people start shedding their gods. Why? Because they know more. Life experience tells them more. The more scientific we are, the more we realize that there are some natural explanations for what people previously attached supernatural rationale to. So it's not that I hate Christians. I love everybody. But the truth is, is that I don't need God to explain reality. I have a perfect explanation for reality already within science. Science is a really, really good reason not to become a Christian this Easter. But not just science. Um, one of the best reasons, I think, not to become a Christian is all the fake Christians. One of the best arguments against Christianity is sometimes... Christianity. Sometimes the best reason not to become a Christian is the Christians that you know. You know these people. Have you been, you've been around, if you're not a Christian, you've been, spent enough time around religious people. Hello. To know 
I'm not sure if I like this tribe, right? And the truth is, is that if Christianity is supposed to make you all this good person, oh, you're, so, you're a Christian, blah, blah, blah. Then why is it that I know people who are not religious, who are way more moral than some of the Christians I know? How is it that, that some of the people that are not Christians are actually some of the most decent, caring, and loving people? Awesome. And some of the Christians I know are some of the most awful people that I know who are bigoted and hateful and frustrating, and I just want to kick them to the curb. Between Larry the Christian and Ed the non-Christian, I like Ed way more. If I'm choosing a tribe based on life, I'm choosing Ed's tribe. Christians, all the fake Christians, are a really good reason not to become a Christian this year. But perhaps one of the most emotional or personal, but also that has weight to it, valid weight to it, is suffering. Okay, so here's the deal. You tell me that this Bible of yours talks about this God who's all-powerful and all-loving. Then why is it that this happened to me? Why is it that this happened to the person that I love? How, the more that we know about the world, the more tragedy we see. This God of yours is all good, and he's also all loving simultaneously. Uh-uh. Either one of those two things is not accurate. Either this God you serve is not all powerful. Like, he's good, he's loving, but he can't do anything to intervene in the tragedy and the suffering of my world. And if that's the case, why would I want to follow him? Or... He's all-powerful, but he's not good. So he watches as suffering happens and does nothing. And if that's your God, I'm out. Suffering, yours and the world's, is an excellent reason. Excellent reason, very popular reason not to become a Christian this Easter. And along with suffering, hell. So wait, here's the deal. You believe in a God who, if you believe in him, you put your trust in him. Ask him to forgive you. He gives you heaven for all eternity. But if you don't, you go to hell? Like eternal torment? And, and don't start telling me that you know Christians that don't believe in hell. Yeah, I, I get that. There are some Christians that don't believe in hell. But then I look at your, your holy book here, and it seems to be all over the place. You need a new book if you're going to say that. And so if you're supporting this idea of hell... Forget it, man. I don't know if I want to follow some maniacal God who arbitrarily sends people who don't believe in him to eternal punishment. Forget it. I'm out. I can't handle that. Now, if, if any of those reasons not to become a Christian hasn't, like, convinced you yet, let me give you one more. There's zero evidence. Look, it's not that I don't want to believe Okay, I'm open to wherever the evidence leads me, but I don't have enough evidence to bet my life on this Jesus, that he died on the cross and he rose again from the grave for my sin. I don't have enough evidence. There's zero, zilcho, evidence. And yet, this first century skeptic, an atheist to who Jesus was as God, flips. This guy who was a contemporary of Jesus and all of those disciples that he hated so much flips and becomes a follower of Jesus. Why? I only gave you part of what he said in the New Testament. It's actually part of a letter he wrote to this church in Corinth. And what he says is, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the wisdom and the power of God. What he's saying is this, listen, I'm an insider. I know what it's like not to buy Jesus as God. I get that. Like I was on the outside looking in. And from the outside looking in, this looks moronic 
insane, delusional. But that second I crossed that line, all of a sudden, the deeper I got and closer I got to God, the more wise and powerful this reality was. It was the most foolish decision I've ever made and the wisest one simultaneously. What was his reason? In, in, in the face of all of his reasons not to believe in Jesus, not to become a Christian, what was Paul's one reason? It's the one reason I want to challenge you with. It's the only reason I'm going to give you. I think there's more than one reason, but I'm just going to give you one. The same reason for Paul, and this is it. It's true. It's true. The resurrection happened. Paul has this weird encounter with God after the resurrection, which is, that's, that's cool, but lots of people have encounters with God. You go to any religion, any world religion, or even today, you might say, man, I had an encounter with God, but then you wake up on Monday and you're like, no, I just, it was the Cinnabon, I think. It just, that was it. People have encounters with God, big deal. Paul seems to have something else, though. He has this encounter with God, which is a paradigm shift. He now believes Jesus is God, not only that he died on the cross, that was a fact, but that he rose again. But this is the important thing. A couple of years later, he goes back to Jerusalem. And when he goes back, the reason he goes back to Jerusalem is because this Paul is a skeptic. Now, he's, he's a person of faith at this point, but in his heart, he's a scholar and a skeptic. He had an encounter with God, but he goes back to Jerusalem to fact check it. So what does he, he does is he goes back and he fact checks it. And then, and that's good for Paul, great for Paul. But the reason it's important for us is this. Within 20 years of the resurrection, year, a few years after that, that event, he writes a letter, and we have the letter. The truth that steps into the zero evidence actually helps us understand that this letter says something powerful to us. See, what Paul does is this. In this letter, he, he, he includes that interview process of going through and talking to the 11. And this is what he says in that letter. And he says, this is the most important thing. Like, you, look, we disagree on a lot of stuff, but this is the most important. This is what it all hangs on. He says, for what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the 12, and after that he appeared to more than 500 others. Now here's the, and, he, and then he says, who are still living. The reason this is important that we've got this letter is because when you're looking at any type of historical event, you want to know about eyewitnesses and you want to have something written about the event during a time that it could be falsifiable. Meaning that people could say, no, that didn't happen. When we have this account written within 20 years that spread all throughout the empire from Palestine all the way through Europe, all of a sudden you have people who can fact check it and people who can push back and say that didn't happen. And the people didn't say Paul is wrong. The thing that is causing in 2017 and 2018 rational agnostics and rational atheists to actually become Christians is not any of our Christian books or our Christian music. It's not how awesome we are as Christians all the time. The thing that's transforming rational agnostics and atheists today to Christ is that. 1 Corinthians 15, the evidence at hand that the resurrection took place as an explanation for what took place thereafter. Zero evidence stands in the face of the fact that the resurrection happened. It's true. But not only that, if the resurrection is true, and it is true, because it's true, all of a sudden we have a different perspective on hell. If you think that you have a bad uh, feeling towards hell, you should. But, but what we see in the cross and the resurrection is that you, your bad feeling or how much you hate the idea of hell is not matched by God's bad feeling or how much he hates hell. 
He hates hell so much that this distance that was caused by our own decisions and our own rebellion from him, that he came into and intervened in that to take hell upon himself, to take hell upon himself on the cross, that he'd take my unrighteousness, my, all the stuff that I've done upon him, and then he'd give me his innocence. And that, his, that the fact that he rose again lets me know that if I'm in Christ, hell is never in my future. You can have a lot of doubts about life, but you can, you can know, you can take this to the bank. If you're in Christ, hell is not in your future because God hates hell far more than you ever could. And not only that, suffering. Suffering, whether you believe in God or you don't believe in God, suffering happens. If you believe in God, you're gonna suffer. If you don't believe in God, you're gonna suffer. What do you have because the resurrection is true is the fact that there is a rationale behind suffering. Jesus had to die for something, because of something. Sin is the origin story behind suffering. When sin happened, everything in all of creation had an expiration date and broke apart. Everything in our universe that we can observe and study breaks down. Because all of a sudden, this, this, this thing that took place back at the beginning took place. Jesus is the one who's on the cross who comes in and intervenes with that and says something when he says it is finished. He pays the penalty for all of the brokenness so that one day, and we get at this at the end of the Bible, when he returns, he says, I will make all things new. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more pain. That reality alone about the resurrection has caused people from every tribe and every ethnicity and every cultural backdrop to engage and go through oppression, depression, anxiety, and anything else that could cause suffering and even loss. Why? Because the suffering for a Christian is not the end of the story. If you're in Christ, because the cross and the resurrection is true, you not only have meaning behind your suffering, but you have a future without it. And the truth is that, that one of the things that, are, one of our deepest questions is, why, why, if God loves me, why does he allow this suffering? We have to know that whatever it means, it doesn't mean that God, our suffering means God doesn't love us. Why? Because Jesus was on the cross. The very son of God, God loved him. And yet he suffered more than anyone. My suffering does not mean that God doesn't love me. There's significance. And there's a future without it because the cross is in fact true. And as far as all the other Christians, you know, honestly, because of the cross, we actually know that there's something important about this. Jesus didn't die for moral people. He died for sinners headed for hell. Jesus didn't, didn't die for people that he thought, okay, these people are going to be the best people from the team that I'm going to pick for my team so that they're going to be like the best people in the world and the most moral people in the world. He died for sinners who are messed up and broken like you and like me. And because of that, it should be no surprise that if my morality isn't what got me into the thing, my morality isn't what keeps me saved by him. So there's times that I'm going to showcase the worst version of myself and other people around me are going to see it. If you're not a Christian, you should not be surprised that you're going to see Christians who are awful. And you shouldn't be surprised that you're going to see non-Christians who are amazing. That's reality. You're going to find wonderful people over here and terrible people over here, wonderful people over there and terrible people over there. But here's the thing. If you're not a Christian, don't use Christians and all the fake Christians as a rationale not to believe because, and this is the best thing, your standard never was them. Your standard has always been Jesus. He's the one we look to. When you see Christians acting the way they are, they're acting inconsistent with the message of Jesus. Okay? Not in line with it. Put your eyes on Christ don't let all the Christians turn you away. In fact, let them be more the thing that's put, turning you closer to, to Jesus. When it, and which brings us to science. 
Science is one of those things where as Christians, um, Paul says this in another book, uh, in the book of Colossians, he says that, that this Jesus, all things were made by him and for him. And so if the resurrection is true, then all of a sudden I have a newfound passion for science. What is science? It's trying to understand how God did it. It's looking through the natural order of things and like looking at look, photosynthesis and DNA and the central nervous system and, and, you're, and you're blown away. The deeper we go, the more complicated and intricate and beautiful it is. That for a person who believes that God, that's something that helps us understand what happened. But as a Christian, I get a chance to say something else. I get to know why. I get to know for what ultimate purpose it happened. And if that's the case, then all of a sudden I've got answers that, 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 that purely science can't answer on its own. And science will tell you this. I'm able to understand the origin story of it all and the purpose of it. I get to answer the question, am I alone? Are we alone in this universe? Is the universe just random and dead and empty and pointless? And we could say, no, it is beautiful and designed and intricate and should be explored. And the passion for science in a Christian should be all the more because we're seeing the very brushstrokes of the Redeemer who died on that cross and rose again. Which brings us finally to that final objection, which is the whole reality of, but what about all the stuff I've got to give up? And that, that actually is accurate. That actually is true. That's an objection that, that we probably should sit with and stay with. Because this objection actually causes us to give up one of the heaviest things in this world. More than anything that you could do that you give up, more than anything that, that you've done in the past or that you want to hold on to, the heaviest thing that we give up is our pride. That surrender is one of the heaviest things we possibly can do. But here's what I want to invite you to do. If you're not a Christian today, I want to invite you to, in fact, step into something that people have been doing for 2,000 years, all the way back to Paul. They've been looking at the evidence at hand and looking at all their doubts and all their questions and realizing that in the midst of all the doubts and their questions, Jesus is, in fact, the puzzle piece that syncs up everything the best to the point that they're willing to bet their lives, very literally their lives in many situations, Foolishly following a savior that they could no longer see and giving their life for it. I want to encourage you to, to do like they, to doubt your doubts. I want to challenge you to make a foolish decision of accepting the foolish message of the cross as your own. During the song, I want to encourage you to simply do that. You can do it with your eyes open, your eyes closed, whatever. But to simply say, God, I understand that I am distant from you. I understand that my choices have caused this distance, this hell. And I could hold on to this for my whole life, but I'm choosing instead to give this over to you and trusting what you did on the cross to be sufficient to pay for it all so I don't have to walk with shame anymore. I can lose my life following your lead. Lead me from this point on. After the song, you're going to get a chance to, to see 13 testimonies of a bunch of other fools who gave their life to Jesus. And here's the other thing about that. If you do trust in Jesus today, you could join that foolish tribe, the foolish tribe of people at this church, the foolish tribe of people in this world who believe Jesus isn't simply a person or a historical figure, but a Savior and God and one in whom we will see one day. Amen? Amen. Amen.